0: Amen. Thank you very much for those those hymns. Those were my top five favorite hymns. And so one of the perks of being a senior pastor is you get to pick the songs. So I picked the songs for for this Sunday and uh, the music team uh, humbled me. So thank you. I really mean that. So for my final message here in this pulpit, I was... Directed by the Lord to 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. So take the word of truth and find 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's read verses 12 to 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. When it comes to the responsibilities of church officers, namely elders, pastors, overseers, quote-unquote bishops, they're all referring to the same office. The Bible is clear with regard to the elders' responsibilities. Would you agree? To boil it down... Elders, pastors, they oversee the administration of the church. They pray for the sheep. They preach and teach. They dispense the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. They counsel, a disciple. That's it. Most churchgoers are familiar with those responsibilities. But I rarely, rarely, ever hear in the 12 years i've been a christian i rarely ever hear about the christian's responsibilities towards their leaders so as my final parting word i am giving a charge to you the congregation so aaron you have the sunday off you can can leave it if you like i want to give you a charge not a rebuke Not a correction. I want to give you a charge. I'm going to preach to you on the much neglected topic of the Christian's responsibilities to the pastor. That is the the title of today's message. The Christian's responsibilities, plural, to the pastor. This is a much-needed area of discussion because history gives plenty of evidence of the insane level of ignorance and neglect given to the responsibilities of the pastor. And since we're celebrating Reformation Day after our service this morning, let me share with you just a few historical cases that indicate the sad pattern of Christians mistreating their pastors listen clearly 1536 john calvin by now if you hear john calvin and think of calvinism i've failed you don't think tulip when you hear john calvin there was infinitely much more to him than that john calvin was a preacher he didn't want to be, though. He, he wanted to be a student. He wanted to lock himself up in a room and study the scriptures and write for his whole life. But God would have a different plan for him. He was convinced with a somewhat prophetic warning by his friend to become the pastor of St. Pierre Cathedral in Geneva, Switzerland. It still stands to this day. Less than two years after he began his pastorate, he was dismissed for not allowing immoral men to partake of the Lord's Supper. He exercised his pastoral authority to protect those whom had no business taking the Lord's Supper. The response, it kicked him out. Fast forward 200 years. July 1750, a man named Jonathan Edwards was the pastor of about a 600-member congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts. He served there faithfully for 23 years. In his 23rd year, the church voted to fire him mainly over a doctrinal disagreement over the Lord's Supper. Fast forward 100 years later to England. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, ministered at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He became the world's most popular reformed preacher. His works were scattered throughout North America. He belonged to a denominational body or a network of Baptist laymen and leaders called the Baptist Union, sort of like what today is called uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. In 1888, after almost three decades of being the world's greatest preacher, He became the center of a controversy when he published an article warning his Baptist brethren of a liberal downslide. Now, you would think, being a man of his stature, they would rally behind him and support him and say, Pastor Spurgeon, you're you're right. We, We see what you're saying. But they didn't do that. Rather than heed the warning, they accused him of being schismatic. They accused him of losing his mind. And his students and his colleagues turned on him. And he felt forced to resign the Baptist Union. But that wasn't enough for the council of Baptist men. Three months later, they publicly voted to condemn Spurgeon for what he did i could go on and on in fact maybe you know personally of a pastor who was mistreated and fired happens too often in each of those cases cases uh, cases, christians utterly fail to keep and maintain their god given responsibilities towards their leaders so Today, I pray that you with passion and fervency and conviction and earnestness will purpose to keep these responsibilities personally. Now you say, Heitman, what are the responsibilities? I'm on the edge of my seat. What are they? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Note in verse 12 that your first responsibility towards your pastor is to appreciate him. The first responsibility Christians have towards their leaders is to appreciate them. Verse 12, it says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate. Now, the we there, what's that referring to? Well, it's referring to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the ones who planted this church in Thessalonica. So when Paul uses, it's called, what what, what nerdy language majors called the editorial we. He's referring to, to him and his associates. So this letter wasn't written by a group of men. Paul was speaking on behalf of himself and the men whom he was with on a second missionary journey, which was when the church was planted. So we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate. That word appreciate literally in the Greek is oida. It means to know. It's a common verb in scripture. It means in this context to know by experience. So the connotation here of this divine request, just because he says it's a request, still doesn't make it an option. This request involves gaining a deep, intimate, personal knowledge of your shepherds that leads to admiration and appreciation. You know, one of my heroes, Dr. John Fullerton MacArthur, he says, people say to me all the time, I feel like I know you. When John doesn't know that person from Adam, but but like many who, who who listen to his preaching, you start to feel like you know the man, right? He talks about his his family history in his preaching. He talks about his passions. He talks about his what's going on in the evangelical subculture, right? He he's he talks about. The current threats to your life he talks about the lord jesus christ in such a level of clarity that parallels almost no one that's living today i can relate to that i remember i stood in his office for the first time uh, at my second sunday at, at grace church somehow he knew somebody that knew him well so he took us up to his office and i stood there i'm like I appreciate this man so much because I feel like I know him. I've been studying his commentaries, reading his books, listening to his sermons for years. I know this man. And because of that, I appreciate him. In the same way, it's God's will for you to appreciate your leaders. It means to know by intimate personal deep experience that leads to valuing their service. Paul goes on to make a few very important qualifiers. Okay? He didn't say appreciate those who hold the title of pastor. No. He didn't say that did he? He said Appreciate those, those obviously conveying the idea that this is a special group of people. Not just anyone. The responsibility that you have is intended to be applied to somebody who exhibits these four markers that follow in the text. You don't have the responsibility to appreciate someone just because they fill the position. There are a lot of men and women who hold the title of pastor. But these marks that we're going to look at are nowhere to be found in their life. Well, who are those? Who are those that are worthy of your appreciation? There are four marks, four qualifiers of faithful pastors. The first one is those who diligently labor. Look at that. Those who diligently labor. That means to weary oneself. It means to work to the point of exhaustion. In other words, the lazy pastor doesn't deserve your appreciation. The pastor doesn't do work. The pastor who plagiarizes someone else's sermons. The pastor who just sits in his office all day and doesn't even try to get to know his people. The guy who on Friday night hasn't even begun to think about what he's going to preach on Sunday. You don't have to appreciate that guy. The faithful pastor deserving of appreciation he is a hard worker. Now, to be clear, crystal clear, now some of you might not like this, but it's true. Faithful pastor's work does not involve doing manual labor on church grounds. It does not mean he's out there planting crops alongside the farmers in the church, although he can, but you shouldn't expect that. It does not mean that he fills his schedule with meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. meeting. That's your job. That's the deacon's job. That's the Christian layman's job. The elder's job is very distinct. His work should be, for Timothy 5:17, ruling well, leading well. Hebrews 13:17 says, "Obey your leaders and submit to them." What does that imply? If Christians are to obey and submit, that implies that there are orders being given, right? Acts twenty verse twenty-eight. I read this this morning. Be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock among which the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, God, has made you episkopos, from which the word episcopal comes from. It literally means upon watchmen. So, so true biblically qualified elders, pastors are watching over you. That means they might need to get in your business where you don't like them to be. That means if you're reading Joel Osteen and I don't say anything to you, I'm a bad pastor. It means that if you're not serving in the church using your gift and I don't confront you, I'm a derelict shepherd. Because It's not good, to, good for you. It's not God's will to be influenced by wolves. And to sit on the sidelines while everyone else does the work. So let me ask. What does the uh, preacher's work look like? Leading, preaching, teaching. So The pastoral search committee didn't have to spend hours upon hours thinking of a crafty job description. If it, there's no biblical citation in the job description, scratch it out. Amen? I hope I was going to hear a louder amen to that one. <laughs> so, the pastor who diligently labors is owed your appreciation, but that's just the first mark. Look at the second one. He says, he says diligently labors among you. That is to say, the faithful pastor uh, doesn't, doesn't do the work from afar, he doesn't do it from a distance at another location, listen, there's nothing biblical about flat screen church. It's not biblical. The guy, if you go to church and you see a man on the screen, he's not going to be among you. How could he know you? How could he do his job? How could you know him? He is present among the flock. He is with them. He knows them. He is aware of their weaknesses, their strengths, their successes, their failures, their sin, their goals. Their goals. Their background. Just as a literal shepherd stands out in the open pasture with his sheep, so the faithful pastor lives among the the saints allotted to his charge. Let me ask this: What holds the pastor accountable to this necessity to be among the people? It's Hebrews 13, 17. They keep watch over your souls as those whom will give an account. So my my fear of God and Aaron's fear of God is what fuels his desire to watch over you. Now, here's something else that might prod you a little bit. What does this imply about you, the congregant? Doesn't it imply that the pastor can't do his job if you don't show up? If he is to be among you, you have to be among him. So if you're not ever involved, if you're not faithfully attending church, you know, we all have busy lives, so I understand we can't do stuff during the week all the time, but if you're not making an effort to at least attend worship, find some way to serve in some capacity, then, then how can you be shepherded? If you don't come over when you're invited, you don't come over to church events when you're invited, you barely show up to church on Sunday, you can't be shepherded. So, appreciate faithful pastors who diligently work on among you thirdly appreciate those who have charge over you in the lord charge over you in the lord if you have an niv raise your hand no i'm just kidding i don't want to know the niv i'm going to go on a polemic rant for a minute so bear with me The niv misleads you in this in this in this phrase the niv says care for you that's not what the greek says at all and they've been close it's a horrible translation So if you have an NIV, take your Sharpie and line out care for you and put in what every other translation says, charge over you. If you want to be a literalist like I am, you can put stand over you. That's what the Greek word means. Picture a courtroom. You walk into the back door to your left and to your right are chairs for spectators, right? As you approach the middle of the courtroom, there's a table for the plaintiff and the defendants. Off to your right or left, wherever, there's a, a section for the jury. Then you get to the front, and you're forced to look up, aren't you? Who sits there? The judge, wearing a black robe to signify his office, and he's elevated on a high platform to convey what? His authority. His authority. He is the one in the driver's seat. If things get out of hand. He very forcefully. He or she very forcefully says. In some legal jargon. You know. Order in the court. Right? If the bad guy wants to do something stupid. And like charge the mound. He calls the bailiff to tackle him. Right? Now. Paul wants you to understand that overseers, pastors, elders, are like a judge in a courtroom. They call the shots. They make the verdict. They're the primary decision makers. They're to guide, to lead, direct in spiritual matters and in ecclesiastical matters. In fact, we see this clearly in Scripture in Acts 15. Acts 15 is is where we find the Jerusalem Council recorded. If you don't remember what that is all about, that was a meeting with with the apostles, the church leaders, and many more. They, They gathered to debate and discuss and settle an issue regarding circumcision and Gentiles. There were some who were going around saying that Gentiles had to be circumcised to be saved, so they had this council. Acts 15, verse 13. After there was many debates, so James and the apostles, they were willing to hear the arguments. They were willing to hear the preferences, the opinions, the popular opinion. But in Acts fifteen thirteen, what's it say? James stands up and says, brethren, listen to me. In other words, enough talk. It's time to get to the bottom of this. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. Then he quotes an Old Testament text. Verse 19, he says, Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. There you have it. There was no congregational vote. James stood up and made the verdict. In that sense, brothers and sisters, elders are like a judge. Does it mean they're dictators? Does it mean they're cruel slave masters, even though some try to be maybe? hope I haven't. It also must be noted that an elder's authority does not extend beyond spiritual and ecclesiastical matters. No elder can tell you where to send your kids to school. Elder cannot tell you what to buy, what not to buy. Can't tell you how to dress, you know, those silly, trivial things that Christians like to argue about. Elders don't have that authority. But they do have the authority when they're speaking God's truth in order to admonish, rebuke, disciple, and guide and direct and lead. Fourthly, appreciate pastors who diligently labor among you, who lead, fourthly, and who give you instruction. Look at that phrase in uh, in, in verse 12 there. Verse 12. It's nutheteo it's, uh, it's in the Greek, the, the, the word from which we get nuthetic counseling. It literally means to place in the mind. Place in the mind. Other translations rendered this admonish instead of instruction, but both are appropriate. Admonishment, nuthateo, carries the idea of placing something into the mind of somebody that's going to affect a change. This is the primary thing for a pastor. First Timothy 5:17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor that means double pay, especially those who work hard at who knows it, preaching and teaching, especially those who labor at preaching and teaching he is to be among you working hard in the ministry of preaching and teaching and i can tell you by experience it's not easy preparing a weekly exposition is like writing the research paper every week how many people love doing that in college <laughs> but that's the easy part you know yeah, some of us are kind of nerdy. Yeah, we, we, we liked it. If we could study theology. It's fun. But, but that's really the easy part. You know, once you get used to it, you get in a groove. You lay out the language, the commentaries, the Greek dictionary, all that stuff. And it just kind of comes together. It's not that hard. But standing up in front of a group of people whom I know, some whom I don't know really well, and delivering a message that's true to the text. And engaging. Now that's the hard part. But the most difficult thing about preaching. Is not the crafting of a manuscript. It's not the response from the people. Do you want to know what the hardest thing. About preaching is. It's what what makes the work of preaching. Terrifying. Remember James 3 verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, whom I've mentioned already, he 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 came to the pulpit Sunday after Sunday with so much trepidation that as he as he ascended to the platform, the pulpit, he would say, "I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit." He did that. Because he knew that he depended on the Holy Spirit to preach what's true and effective. Because he feared God when he preached. But you know what? And this you might have heard this part before. Preaching is also scary for you. Ever thought about this? That preaching is a very terrifying thing for you. Because if what I say is right, you are responsible for every single word. Because with greater knowledge comes greater responsibility. To know something is, is, is right and not to do with a sin. Right? So this is why we have a high view of preaching. Because it's, it's God's means to convert and to sanctify. But it's also the weightiest task you could ever ascend to. You will not incur stricter judgment if you crash the company truck. You will not incur stricter judgment for messing up someone's insurance claim, right? I won't incur stricter judgment for whatever. But the Bible does say that preachers do. So brothers and sisters, let's level it. You have the responsibility to appreciate the pastor who works hard, who takes charge, who preaches and teaches to you, who lives among you. Were you aware of this responsibility? Did you know this? I know some of you do. Because some of you have, in word and deed, told me that you appreciate me. And if you've done it to me, I'm sure you've done it to Aaron. But let me just just charge you that, that as you assemble next weekend to confirm Aaron as the next senior pastor, do so with this on the forefront of your mind. He has proven to you. That he displays these four marks. Hasn't he? First responsibility is to appreciate faithful pastors. Secondly, esteem faithful pastors. Verse 12. Paul goes on to say that you esteem them. That is to count, to consider, to think, to regard, or to view. It it has to do with your mindset. How you think towards. The, the, The first responsibility is what you do towards the pastor This is how you think towards the pastor. The same word is used in uh, Philippians 3, verse 7, which you probably know. but, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Counted, reckoned, think of. James 1, verse 2, consider it joy, brethren, when you face various trials. Consider it joy. Think about it as joy. But Paul just drills in that screw even further. He tells you the degree with which you should esteem your pastor. Look what it says. Very highly. Don't just esteem them. Esteem them very highly. It's not just a little. It's not even highly. It's very highly. It's beyond all measure. The NIV is actually right here, so I'll redeem myself in my criticism of the NIV. It says, hold them in the highest. Hold your leaders in the highest. You know, when people like to tell me that I like John MacArthur too much, you know what I want to say? First of all, I just want to say things I shouldn't. Secondly, I want to show them this verse. You are supposed to put leaders display these four marks on a pedestal you are esteem them very highly hold them in the highest regard because of their work which we'll get to in a second now in previous generations this was the culture you know think back to the um little house in the prairie days where the pastor had his collar you know his ministerial suit And he wore that so that he could be identified, just like a police officer wears a uniform and a badge to be identified as a police officer. Then pastors would wear clerical uh, outfits to be identified as the pastor. In the military, I wore a cross on my chest to distinguish myself as a chaplain. So, So back then, clergy were very, very highly regarded. Theology used to be called the queen of the sciences. If you were a theologian, you were respected. You were held in high esteem. Now, if I walk into Starbucks with with a preacher's collar and a Bible, they couldn't give a rip. In fact, they might get offended that I would claim to possess the true, inspired, timeless Word of God. My, how we drifted. But, but even, even, even in Reformed Christians today, the pastor is somewhat despised. Or demeaned. I listened to a tape of R.C. Sproul not long after my conversion. It was about the sovereignty of God. And part of his introduction to this doctrine, he told a story about some smart seminarian came to him And said something to the effect of, Dr. Sproul, you know, back when you were just a pastor, what did you, and he cut him off. He cut the guy off. He stopped him. Interrupted him. And he leaned and he said, what do you mean, just a pastor? He said, the pastor is the highest calling under the sun. Don't you ever demean it. So it's biblical. It's biblical to highly regard faithful preachers. If you can't make it in the pastor, you become a professor. He shows you the degree, but he also shows you the way. Esteem them very highly, the degree, in love. That's the way you do it. It's agape. You guys know what that one is, right? You've heard that ad nauseum before, right? That's our favorite Greek word, isn't it? It's it's that selfless, sacrificial service put into action. That's what love is. So you show your pastor. You sacrifice. You make sacrifices. To show your esteem. Then... Thankfully, Paul gives us very clearly why. This last phrase ties into the entire passage. You you appreciate pastors. You esteem them because of their work. Notice that that this reason is, is not because of their personality, their appearance, their education, their talents, their experiences, their age, or even their likability. I'm not going to go there, but what I'm thinking is that too often times pastors are dismissed or disciplined or neglected or disrespected because they just don't like him. He doesn't have that polished look. He's not athletic. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about Aaron, just, just to be clear. I think it looked look very polished, especially when you get a haircut. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll save that for their time. Actually, we, we played flag football last year in my yard. We were all impressed how fast he was. But I digress. People wrongly view the calling of a pastor as a popularity contest. And that's, that's, that's sad because the only reason you need To esteem and appreciate faithful pastors is because of the work they do. The leading and the preaching and teaching. So, I think this is pretty clear, isn't it? As I stated in the beginning of the message today, Christians tend to be ignorant of these responsibilities. Just a few short years after John Calvin was dismissed from his pulpit, he 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 took off to a different city in Germany. But the people in Geneva regretted what they did. They begged him to come back. And he wrestled with it, but he did. He went back to Geneva and had a very fruitful ministry, very long fruitful ministry. He he walked into the pulpit his first Sunday back. He opened it up to the very verse he left off of years before. The exceptionally gifted Jonathan Edwards, his story did not end well. After being tossed out like a sack of potatoes from the church whom he loved and pastor for 23 years, they so ruined his reputation that no church would call him And he ended his life ministering to about a dozen Indians. The Prince of Preachers. How do you think that ended? In the aftermath of this downgrade controversy, which is what it was called, after he was expelled from the Baptist Union, he spiraled downward. Some of you know that Spurgeon, I would say, was enslaved to depression. He was in so much mental anguish after being jettisoned by his students and colleagues that his health got worse. His own wife would write later, after he died, his fight for the faith cost him his life. All because Christians did not apply this text. Simple. Appreciate and esteem your leaders because of their work. I hope that God had mercy on those people when they faced them on judgment day. And I hope and pray that as SVBC continues on in her mission, after I'm gone, that you yourself will remain diligent to carry out these responsibilities towards Aaron and the future elders of this church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving me the wonderful privilege of preaching, Father. Thank you for allowing these people to come in here. I, I am so thankful for each and, sing, every, each and every single one of them, Lord. I pray for Aaron and Jennifer and her transition. I pray for this church to get behind them, to shower them with appreciation and, and esteem. God, that's right. That's your will. Thank you.